0: Welcome to GWC podcast number 326, recorded May 28th, 2012. In this episode, we continue our growing up geek arc with Sean's pick, the hero and the crown. But first, your host... Three unrepentant sci-fi geeks. I'm Chuck Cage. And one day you end up a big evil, you know, craphead. And with me, Audra
1: Heskin.
0: If I had a nickel for every time
1: I got boned at the eye of
2: Jupiter.
3: And, and Sean O'Hara. <laughs> I shall
0: fart. <laughs> Our mission, enjoy new science fiction, fantasy, and other cool stuff every week and share the experience with you. Oh yeah, and have some fun in the process. GWC is brought to you largely by the generosity of listeners like you. It's your donations that keep us going. For more information on how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. And the fine folks at audible.com. Visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash watercooler for your free audiobook. Of course, we'd love to hear your opinions, too. So if you have something to say, or hey, you could introduce us to something new, don't just tower at your mp3 player give us a call at 214-296-9229 that's 214-296-9229 extension 701 and leave us a voicemail for inclusion in a future show better yet you can join the gwc community a group widely recognized as the friendliest people in sci-fi and watching reading and enjoying all kinds of cool stuff 24 7 over on galacticwatercooler.com our website blog and forum GWC is a spoiler-free podcast, and we define spoilers as definitive information regarding material not yet released in the United States or its country of origin. In short, if it's out, it's fair game. Welcome back everyone especially me
1: welcome back to the state <laughs> Chuck. <laughs>
0: yeah, boy it is nice to be home it's nice to be back in here it felt very odd
2: not recording gwc over a weekend yeah yeah
0: it's
1: not
2: right well you were in uh you were in phoenix so it's a little difficult to do it from there <laughs> since you're the one who runs the gear
1: and really do it in this <laughs> box
0: and even if we did it just wouldn't have been it would have been weird
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, I could have recorded it
2: from my other place, you know, or, you know, from my place, but yeah, you've
0: done it. I mean, we have to, it's okay, but if you can avoid it,
1: yeah. well, well, Chuck was off gallivanting around with Colin Ferguson (laughs) and Sally Richardson Whitfield and, um, and who's the, who's the actor who plays Beverly on Eureka? I can't remember her name, but she was Uh, at the panel and I just thought that was awesome. He's like sending me text messages photos of him with the various Eureka actors. I was like, Whoa ah!
0: I got lucky. I actually I went to And
1: you got lucky? Yeah.
0: I went to an academic conference in uh in, in Phoenix and I get there first of all I realized, oh hey look, Phoenix Comic Con is the same weekend. Uh so I I I applied for uh press credentials which they were kind enough to to offer. And when uh thank you by the way, that was really nice of them. And then uh when I got there uh, it was great because like you can only go to a couple of these academic panels at a time because they're they're literally like taking a funnel and sticking it in your sticking into your head and then just like pouring in information, and then it fills up and you're like I got I got to go you know so instead of like sitting in the room I I discovered not only was Phoenix Comic Con the same weekend you could see it from my hotel room like I look out the window I'm like isn't that the convention
1: center like what are those people in costume
0: <laughs> yeah I said literally you see all these awesome people in costume I'm like. Oh, yeah, I got to do that. So I, I walked across the street and uh, checked it out.
1: So like every day he'd go to the conference and then like late in the day, head over to the Comic-Con.
0: Exactly. And walk around and, and had some really cool experiences yes. there. Yeah. So uh, let's see. I did. I, I got to meet uh, uh, Sally Richardson Whitfield. Uh, who is really cool. Very briefly, of course. I mean, I I just got in one of the autograph lines, but I got to hear her speak a little bit. They did a women in sci-fi panel, and she had a whole lot of really cool things to say about her character.
1: She plays Allison on Eureka. Right. I'm I'm sorry.
0: I just assume everyone listening knows that. (laughs) Some may not have seen. If you haven't seen the show, forget the fact that it's it's in its final run. Didn't
1: she also, uh, she was in an episode or two of House, wasn't she?
0: How, she's like done early a lot on of she was stuff. like
1: one of she dated foreman briefly oh really yeah because you remember um there's a, a scene where basically you see her getting ready for work in the morning in their his apartment or whatever huh. and uh, that was back I don't know how many like I don't know, maybe eight years ago or something, but she's like leaned, like leaned (laughs) down a lot. I mean, she's like sculpted now. There was an episode of Eureka recently, like one of those fitness models. Yeah,
0: where you where where she's not wearing a ton, and I mean, it's tasteful. It's not, but uh, more sexy than exposing. But holy crap! I mean, she's one of those people that you're like, yeah, they're you know, uh, not just in good shape. That's like, she has
1: like she looks like you know Jillian from the the workout tapes you know <laughs> like she has visible abs But and has way
0: more interesting things to say I mean but, holy but crap back
1: back like when she was in the house episode I remember she she must have been a good at least twenty pounds heavier than than really? now and she looked fabulous like then I mean. She looks awesome all the time, like no matter you know if she 's like larger and curvier or you know whatever well i 'll post she's the slanted. picture
0: too of of uh, that I took with her, and you know it 's great because she 's just wearing normal kind of stuff that mm-hmm. you and I wear you know and uh and and she she looks great no matter what, but what was really cool. Was, uh, you know, she had in that women of sci-fi panel, which everybody seems to do now, and they seem to be kind of a varying quality of what you get and and, and what's going on. She had a lot of really interesting things to say. Uh, Her character, I think, is one in in Eureka, not only a really cool character, regardless of whether you're thinking about gender issues or anything else, just really cool. She uh, is one of the more rounded. uh, Allison, the character, is one of the more rounded female characters you see. I mean, if you think about it, she's a single mother. Uh, She is uh, in charge of a large organization and she has multiple romantic relationships that are not controlling of her. It's a rare combination. You get it's usually you're lucky to get one of those, much less all three at the same time and still have the character function like all the rest. So uh, she also uh, mentioned uh, mentioned uh, Alien and uh, Sigourney Weaver as kind of a, a inspiration in Younger Life. But I got to meet Colin Ferguson as well, which was really cool. We talked to him a couple of times on the podcast, and he was super awesome talking to us. But, you know, every bit as awesome in person as, as you'd expect. I, w- I wanted to mention, though, uh, because everybody says that about everybody. That's why you ask somebody, oh, they were really cool. You know, they're really nice. But there were a couple of things that were kind of surprising about him, I think. And it shouldn't be in hindsight, but were, you know, watching him interact with everybody you know, he would literally take three or four, you know, five minutes with each each person, no matter how many were there. He would, uh, which is which other people do, but he he would ask and remember every person's name, call them by name. Uh, you know, he he would look them in the eye, and talk to them. I think the, the word Sean and I were talking about this. I think the word is genuine. You know, it's obviously an effort to do that, and that that doesn't make it any less genuine. In fact, if if anything, it makes it more because. You have to want to do that. You know, you have to be willing to, like, uh, take the time to engage with each person. Uh, he seemed to be looking for what interested them and and giving each person an interaction that they wanted. And people it with a lot of the other people there, you know, people came in and they were obviously very starstruck. We all are meeting someone that you've watched on the screen for so long. Uh, and then they would kind of smile and walk away, and then very quickly sort of from most people sort of think about the next thing to do right and Here you would see people walking away from him, like talking about him and talking about the show and 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 thinking and just it was a different experience, and you could see that it affected people in a different way. you know it was actually a more friendly line you know than than most of them i I don't know how to ex- exactly describe it, but I think the best thing I heard was, uh, was Shooter, who posts on the forum all the time, said one time that, uh, that he's one of those guys that when you have any interaction with him or see interactions with him, you just want things to work out for him. You know, you feel uh, like you, you just want to see things go well. So anyway, I wanted to mention that. You guys are just staring at me.
2: Well, you were talking. Sorry.
1: <laughs> you haven't really stopped in like 10 minutes. So <laughs> oh, I'll be quiet now. No.
2: Womp, womp.
1: no, it's awesome. I mean, he he does seem that way. Um, the couple of times that I've seen him outside of an acting role, you know, like when he was on Felicia Day's vlog recently oh, yeah. or when he was on um, uh, Tabletop. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I still need to watch the rest of that episode. But yeah, I mean, and, and when he talked to us on GWC, that was just. He seems really down to earth and, you know, and the fact that he stopped and took a picture with you and stuff. And, you know, it's funny that I remember when he interviewed us or when we interviewed him over the phone, uh, was it like two years ago? He was talking about fixing the water heater in yeah. his place, you know, and he tweets things like that occasionally too. Like just really, you know, normal stuff. You yeah. know? <laughs> so that's cool. I mean, I think it's not, and it's not an affectation you know, it's not like a politician who's like, no, really, I grew up in a log cabin. It's like a guy who manages to actually be sincere in that way and still make it in essentially Hollywood. You know, it's kind of hard to like imagine how those things even go together. How can you be a successful actor and be that normal and, and genuine? It's
2: See, cool. normally when you get the normal and genuine, yeah. you get uh, you get stuff like Mike Rowe. Yeah. Now, Mike Rowe is not an actor. Right. But. He is that nice of a guy. He he does take the time with her, just like Colin yeah. Ferguson. But he's not an actor. I mean, normally you get one or the other, <laughs> right? You, know, you don't you don't get both. And with with Colin, it's it, Shannon met him a couple of years ago at a at a con she attended and, and everything, and she said that uh, they were when she showed up to to get the little thing because she was like first in the Amanda tapping line. I mean, <laughs> right? She's camped out like five hours. <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, she was there. You know, so. After she got oh, you know out of Amanda Tapping's line, you know that first did the thing, she had plenty of time on her hands, you know, because sure. there was it was out the door for her, so she went over and hopped in Colin Ferguson's line because she nice. she loves Colin Ferguson, uh, so does my mom, so she's going to get an graph for her. Hell yeah! And uh, she goes in there and she said that he talked to her for three or four minutes at the time she was pregnant with Squeak. and uh, he talked to her a little bit about that, and and was was and she said three or four minutes went by, and I didn't really realize that. I'd been standing here holding up the damn line for a couple of minutes and he was not worried about it. He wasn't trying to usher her off. He wasn't yep. doing anything. He was just talking to her. And then she, and she went off and he did the same thing to the next person and the next person and the next person. Cause she was in a little group, uh, by that time of, of people who were like super sanctuary fans and everything. So they kind of, at the time the show was kind of newish and, uh, they had stuck together. Uh, so it was, so she watched him, and he did the same with everybody. Everybody he did that with. So it was kind of cool. And the conversations varied a lot. It wasn't just, oh, who am I making this out to? It was, he talked to everybody about whatever. In in fact, just to put it in
0: perspective, like I try to move quickly with those things because I feel kind of like I, you know... I, yeah, you, you want re- to be
1: respectful of their time.
0: Exactly. And you really don't have a lot to say, you know. It only takes a moment to say it. And you kind of want to... Um, but it was funny because he he would do the autograph first and then... Then talked to you for a minute and took a picture with you, so you know you you're so engaged in what you're talking with him. I forgot about the picture, you know. So I was probably you know seventy five feet away over there, like going through, going okay, do I have the stuff that I leave anything behind me? I, I get I and I hear this hey, and I look behind me and uh, he had come over and was like, Hey, here's a, You forgot this, you know? Oh, that's awesome.
3: <laughs>
0: I mean, not, not the, not the con person, not any, you know, he just, not liked, his assistant. No, he just came ran and know, ran me down. I was hey. Like, hey, hey, you forgot you, this. You get a, a text and a message
1: one. and it's like, this is Colin Ferguson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it wouldn't
0: surprise me at yeah. all. If, if, you know, if that was the way things, you know, you had that method or he would use it. He's just yeah. a, yeah.
1: You left your picture at my booth today. Come by the bar later. We'll have a drink together and I'll give it to you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, I I mean, obviously there are a lot of people that he interacts with like that, but but wow, just really cool. And and you know, that ties to the other thing cool experience that I had there is that I went to a session on uh that was put on about the making of the show tabletop. And I was really interested in how the show is made, you know, because I I'm, I'm kind of into that sort of thing.
1: It's so cool that they had this too cuz Chuck is like, I like that show a lot, but Chuck is, like, the biggest fan in the world of that That's show. A- Every time it comes out, he's like, new tabletop's here, and he's like, <laughs> shoom, boom, like, appears on the bed with the TV ready. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for a lot of reasons, I'm a fan of that show. Like, I enjoy the show just as, as a show, period. I also enjoy the show because it uh, it it's part of, you know, Geek and Sundry, which is very much, I think, one of the the best hopes for a new mode of entertainment that would open... Uh, open the opportunity of us receiving shows about things that are not wide audience, but are big audience, and that's what's that was one of the things that's surprising. It's a geek network, yeah, uh, they have around two hundred and fifty thousand subscribers, and which incidentally is not horrible for ratings for a cable show, right? And they have around eight million views uh, of uh, collected among them. So, uh, you know, honestly, they are this is not a, a small audience, you know, and and what they're doing is they're they're proving that that there is enough of an audience and there is a market. The games are selling, which we found out as well, like the uh, the games that they're they uh they play on the show. Are jumping to the top of the list and people oh, are buying cool. them.
1: A lot of them are, are just really good games. They anyway, are, yeah. classic like like some of the ones they've played. You know, Suro, um, the T S U R O, yeah, the yeah, Dragon yeah. one. That's a great one because it only takes like twenty or thirty minutes to play. It's really easy to learn. That and it's Zombie good.
0: Dice game from the same. Yeah, one. Zombie
1: Dice and uh, Settlers of Catan is a little bit longer game, but it's just a classic.
0: They showed. Um, uh, they showed next week's episode. Uh, which is uh, coming out next Friday, and it's on Munchkin, which, of course, is one of Will Wheaton's favorite games. He's been talking about that since he started blogging back in the day. Uh, It's a card game, uh, really cool, and uh, uh, they showed about half the preview episode, which was just awesome. It is easily the best episode of the bunch. They've all been really good. They've been almost getting progressively better.
2: It's um, always also on the shelf in the comic book store in Big Bang Theory. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a munchkin there's always a munchkin box on that pillar right there.
0: Not surprised. Yeah. Not a surprise at all. It's I think I think the reason that and and, and we really should uh
1: should <laughs> On the shelf right above Stuart's little pallet with a sleeping bag in you know, the cash <laughs> register.
3: <laughs> Hell yeah.
2: I'm also sleeping there and, <laughs> and eating there and I just don't want to talk about this anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because the game offers an opportunity for performance. You know, it's not only you can just play the game, but you can also the cards are so funny. You know, you can tell stories with them as you do it and have a good time. And And in the episode, it's played by uh, the episode uh, features uh, Felicia Day and Sandy Parikh. And, of course, Will Wheaton and uh, and Steve Jackson, the creator of Munchkin. So it's that well, kinda awesome. high powered. It's like Geek oh.
2: Royalty right there. Well,
0: and
1: Chuck's got sitting on his desk right now oh, a yeah. copy of the game signed by all four of them. Indeed. They all signed the front of the box. It was
2: super nice know how you got that. Oh
0: no, it was I they, they had some trouble with the A V stuff there and they needed a file to work uh, and play the, the episode they were going to play. And I, I happened to be sitting outside early and was able to help. and, and uh, Chuck
2: out geeked Phoenix Comic Con.
0: <laughs>
3: no,
1: yeah. No. And when, when he says Just able a to help, type of able geeking. to help, he means he he went in like he overheard them having a problem and then went Put in on his cape and then <laughs> no. helped them figure out what was needed and then went back over to the hotel and got his laptop and came over. And hooked well, it up and, and let go. What them are the
2: chances it? that you happen to just be and you know the funny thing is I happen it, to have my change of suit and cape <laughs> in the other
0: room. It's it's funny. Tell me tell me this, like and, and I think this is something anybody, any geek would do, right? you you do this with your friends all the time, right? Like if you're sitting around and one of your friends is having a problem, you help them out, you know? It's the same thing, you know. I it just so happen, of all ironies, that no, I happen to have the stuff. It's cool that you, it's really specific, cool, like
1: as a person morally that you chose to do that. But what's most most awesome of all is that you could do that, that you had the know-how to do that. You know? If
2: they'd asked you to fix a, you know, NASA satellite, you probably would have I been would asked. Be
0: it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just so, however, <laughs> the one skill <laughs> happened to be the one that was needed at the moment. Uh, is, uh,
2: we have many skills at this point. True. They may not be applicable in applicable many situ- stuff, situations, you know? <laughs> but we, we have. But see,
1: I do now. not, and that's why it still impresses me.
2: Well, it, he
0: was. super I, I still nice have to like call
1: Juan in the middle of the night to help him. Like, <laughs> what's, what's my password to the network again?
2: <laughs> <laughs> do your home network.
1: Which <laughs> <laughs> is probably more complex than
2: most small businesses. Yes,
0: uh, to tell you how cool uh, 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 Boyan Radakovich who is his name and he's the uh, he's uh, I believe an associate producer on the show. He was on the one that presented. How cool he is! He's a game designer himself. He I I, I understand that his role is that he uh, organizes the the games, organizes the people for them, and uh, gets all the games in. He has a lot of contacts in the industry, so he does that sort of thing. You know how he spends his con on the second floor of the Hyatt. There are two. There was the convention center and a hotel next door that both
2: had In a know. wizard robe with a staff laughing like a maniac. Well, right?
0: actually, check it out on the second floor. Like is happening more and more with cons. Now they have a board game section and they have a huge library of games. You yeah. can show up with your badge and you can check a game out and they have tables and you can go play and there are people up there playing the whole time.
2: Uh, I actually went and 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 hung out there because it packs a lot too. There's an entire building for that. Isn't that I mean, awesome? Which why not? You know, I mean, go and, go play games. Yeah, in fact, uh,
0: board game geek has conventions because he was telling me about one they had in Dallas, and they do. And I got to find that because he said their library was literally like building size. They had like every game in existence, and you can play rare games that oh you can't God. buy anymore, and and so awesome. As long as it's not Star Wars Risk, I'm down. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) When he was not doing something officially like with with Tabletop when he was there, he was literally on the second floor of the Hyatt playing games with people. That's what he does. He had some prototype games that he had made that he wanted to play with people. And when he wasn't doing that, he just played with whoever was there because he likes playing board games. I mean, what an awesome guy. I mean, that's... Anyway, really cool. I uh, hope to talk to him for the podcast at some point in the future. But um, the presentation was super cool. If I wasn't a fan anyway, I, I am of Tabletop. I would be now. Um, it was interesting. People in the audience uh, very much enjoyed the casual gaming episode that they did, the one that you were talking about where they played three games. Yeah. Kind of the kind that usually people used to kick off a game night. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was funny because like in the audience more than one person had the zombie dice game with them because literally all you need are the dice yeah so like you know as as he pointed out and the people in the audience agreed with like when you're waiting in line at con you can play zombie (laughs) dice you know what the hell and uh i i'm think i'm totally gonna take them up on that for san diego we spent a lot of time in line with friends at San Diego. i think i'm gonna pack some of those games and we can damn well play while we're hanging out you know and uh, anyway, I, I'm a big fan of the show. If you haven't checked out Tabletop, do. Uh, even if you're, even if board gaming isn't your thing, I think it's entertaining anyway. Like I was going to say, imagine taking a game that can be can involve some performance, and then take a group of master performers who are improv performers as well, uh, like Felicia Day and and Sandeep Pareek, right, and Will Wheaton, and then with the game's creator in that awesome environment, and holy crap, as you can imagine. It's an awesome episode. I mean, it's like epic. So check it out if you get a chance. You know, even if you're not into board gaming, just go subscribe to Geek and Sundry because those metrics, uh, one thing that we discovered is that Google is very metrics-oriented, and they do treat these shows very much like network shows in that uh, they can receive a second grant for a second season or not. But it's not done by show. It's done by the entire channel. So so if you uh, if you... Uh, enjoy the shows, watch them all. If you get a chance to subscribe to the channel, please do, because the numbers will literally make a difference as to whether they can continue.
1: What's the best way to do that?
0: Uh, go to YouTube, type in Geek & Sundry in the search, and it'll, it'll bring you to their channel, and there's a big subscribe button on the channel. And if you uh, just type Tabletop into Google, it will easily find them in the show, and I think you'll get a big kick out of it, so... I'll stop hogging and we can get on to news. News?
3: News! And now... Galactic Water Cooler! News, updates, upcoming stuff in general, and anything else we care to talk about during this segment! Ooh.
2: Well, I got a fracton. ton. Awesome. Uh, we mentioned, uh, I think we mentioned last week, that uh, Sanctuary is being canceled. Yes. Oh. And, uh, I, of course, uh, immediately upon evolution girl tweeting it sci-fi girl uh shannon was yeah at the computer 10 seconds all over that crap so uh over the past week she's kind of figured out what happened and uh sci-fi everybody can quit their wrath at sci-fi did not kill the show uh sci-fi actually wanted two to three more seasons of it and was more than willing to to kick whatever in that they needed to, uh, but the company that owned all the sets and cameras and all that kind of stuff for uh, that was that Amanda Tapping and Damian Kindler were using uh, for the set of Sanctuary, they did not renew their contract and contracted out to someone another, else. Yeah, someone else wow. who was bigger. What? Uh, so.
1: That's the weirdest technical problem. That's that's what they can do. I I mean, yeah, I mean,
2: probably a big movie came through and all that kind of stuff and offered them a big lump of cash instead of a a medium-sized bit strung out across a year or, you know, whatever, that they would use it. And TV shows are historically labor and time intensive, so they can't really rent that stuff out as long as Sanctuary is there. So basically, they chewed the whole thing up, and then they didn't want to... Renew it because uh, I think it, they said a movie was coming to town. So uh, Amanda Tapping and Demi and Kindler are moving on to another show, uh, which is, as I understand it, they've kind of re-tacked Focus and, and are doing something else. But yeah, this was, uh, it wasn't Sci Fi's fault. Uh, it wasn't, they did not make a decision to kill Sanctuary. In fact, the show was doing great ratings and they were looking forward to at least two more years of it. So
1: you know, it's always surprising to me when we watch these shows, you suspend your disbelief and, and you enter into this this world that's awesome. And it's beyond, I don't know, I, I think most geeks would understand that it's beyond a, a fantasy. It's more like it's a way of seeing the world. It's a, a slipping into a universe for a little while as you watch your favorite shows. That yeah. makes you think about your own life and it makes you think about your own just looking at the world and, and it affects you as a person you know and it's so weird sometimes to have that crash head-on into the realities of economic life yeah you know like you know we, we didn't have the gear or you know we didn't have enough writers or you know the show just didn't get renewed or whatever and you're like but this is my world like the, this is one of it's my, my show man this is one of my yeah. alternate worlds that i depend on as a way to help me think about my world you know and, and there's just some kind of dumb practical life thing that gets in the way. You know, it's just so, it's crazy.
2: It was, it was a show full of awesome characters and, and you were mentioning, you know, strong female leads, you oh, know, yeah, Magnus, yeah. which is Amanda Dapping was a head of a large organization, oh, a yeah. single mother who was, you know, awesome. had
0: really, I mean, not surprising with her. She wrote a lot of that. She created yeah. the show. No, right? Yeah.
2: I mean, she was one of the executive producers, her and, and. Damon Kindler, and uh, I'm hoping I'm saying his name right. It's the way Shannon says it, yeah. so normally it's pretty good. But uh, I'm horrible with that. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm the world's worst. But the executive producer, she wrote a lot of them. She directed some of them. I mean, she... That was her show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so
0: it's so, I'm saying, it's, it can't be surprising that yeah. she would because Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of her thing. Oh, no. Felix, not Grunt. <laughs> Grunt was
2: taken down by Felix. Well, they have a size differential, you know? <laughs> it's like in Torkness uh, Rising, the Grim Wiper wipes out the entire party. The
1: Grim Wiper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
2: It's the cat. You know, the cat's like this black cat who's like, no! <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> uh, it was, I guess. Oh yeah. But uh, anyway, so it was, it was sad to see, but I'm glad Amanda tapping and is she's, she's going yeah. to another show. I think it's a show that's already in progress. She's just going to kind of be involved with it. But I, I
1: that's cool. I'm, I'm interested in what that is because I, I would love to see one of her projects like right from the beginning. Yeah,
2: it's, is, isn't it
0: weird? She must've done, it's almost like she did too good a job. Yeah. Because you know, it's sort of like uh like like with uh back in the day with Zena, how Zena started the the connection is more of the effects, you know, where hang on just a second. He's going to knock that T over. <laughs> I did de- Felix. my de- he my
3: desk. you. That's-
1: it's
0: awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. It's
1: like, what's up? I thought I'd bother you today.
0: <laughs> I was gone and I missed I missed the cats. Um, you know how Zena started the whole low budget digital effects revolution in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then, and then it outdistanced them and and was probably one of the reasons that the show stopped that and everybody's career moved on because they had done so well with it. Right. Yeah. And, and it, this is one of those cases too. This was one of the first uses, heavy uses of virtual sets. Yeah. And, and I bet that that heavy, you know, production experience that we got, you know, that they got from doing
2: that made the company more valuable and eventually, you know, yeah. the the
1: thing valuable is valuable to do their yeah, show. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the
2: thing is, they were. Sanctuary was always profitable. There was never a point where sanctuary sure. was not profitable, right? Because they they maintained this very very low production cost and produced these shows. I mean, they were full seasons and they did them all the time. And so, and they look good. Yeah, they look great. You know, I mean, you could tell when they were actually in the sanctuary kind of circle thing and where they kept all the. I mean, you could tell. Yeah, you know? but, but I mean, it wasn't it. It wasn't enough to take you out. No, and that's I mean, all was, that matters. It always worked, and they shot just enough in real places that they could augment, you know, an outside, so, which is cheap, you know, right? I mean, yeah. that, that they could do it, and the show really worked. It was a great, great stuff, and and went on for like four years, six years, something like that. I mean, it was it was going for a while, so it was pretty impressive. Uh, also, in video game news, we have uh, uh, oh, he's gonna do it. And now it's time for wanna sponsored
1: video game news.
2: You guys realized a couple weeks ago Diablo three came out. Yes. Yes. Have you guys played it at all?
1: No, I haven't played it at all. But I I, hear one
2: picked up a copy.
0: Yeah,
1: I've been hearing about it all over the web. (laughs) Uh, I even even people who normally don't tweet about video games, like was it like Jane Espenson or somebody? They're like, been playing Diablo for four hundred hours straight.
2: It, it's awesome. I uh, it's of course I work at uh, a a media company, so they have powerful machines with giant graphic cards on them, and Diablo got loaded onto one of the machines. Up got to, loaded. Yeah, using like, bigger quotes
1: passively just. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> somehow, it became loaded onto the machine. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. you know
2: the, the guys came by. They're like, hey,
1: we got Diablo in Bay 3. I'm like, sweet. So,
2: you know, we all go down because Bay 3 is like... What it, are you doing, it, rendering? Yeah, <laughs> it's like the trifecta. It's the only one that's closed off, so it's not uh, a fishbowl. It's the only one that's soundproof, it And it's the only one with, like, massive video cards in it. It's like, oh, uh, we got to go. You know, so uh, you go down and, and see it. And holy crap, does that thing look great. I mean the the rendering is insane. It's it's Diablo, so it's it's got a story. It's demon related and everything like that. But uh, uh, one would
1: expect, <laughs> yeah. But
2: the I mean the fire effects are wonderful, uh, and and the play is is pretty tight. So if you're into that kind of thing, even if you're not into that kind of thing, it is beautiful to behold.
1: Is it a PC only, or is it? Uh, as far as patterns? I know,
2: yeah. Okay. One would guess uh, it always has been, or at least until they do the the later versions of it but yeah it's it's pc only uh, there is no i mean they'd have to dumb down the graphics so bad to fit on a console it would be ridiculous
1: <laughs> really yeah
2: yeah
0: really
1: yeah, even, yeah the, even like the 360 yeah well, the trick yeah.
0: is the 360 was slightly ahead of of PCs on the day it was released, right? And and that was how many years ago? Oh gosh, uh, was it at
2: least
1: 2005?
2: 360? Yeah, is, is,
1: oh god, has it been that year? long. Yeah. I'm so old.
2: <laughs> you know, they're thinking of or they're they're actively trying to replace the three hundred and sixty yeah. already. You yeah. know, so uh, it's it's kind of long in the tooth and graphic cards have yeah
0: i, mean, I hope it,
1: they do it like the playstation upgrades so that your old games still play
0: you know within six months i as long as the old consoles are relatively available i don't really care
2: well and honestly as long as it's got a hookup for an optical drive you can just load the whole damn game on the drive and yeah and it'll play like that so i mean even if they don't do uh, a disc reversion or, or something like that or you know backwards compatible right you could always just stick it on a usb key and download, download them the yeah yeah so it's it's definitely so i mean it's it's kind of reaching past that point at this point for for gaming platforms but the consoles are just not up to modern graphic i mean hell i play an mmo uh, world of tanks and i won't go into this uh, a whole bunch <laughs> it is it is awesome it's it was it was like it was built just for me um But I have a, in my machine, I've got a quad-core at home with a one gig NVIDIA uh, vid card. And the the vid cards now are almost computers onto themselves. Yeah. Uh, But it barely chokes down the best graphic resolution on a online MMO that is not as complex. Diablo 3, I have seen it smoke a Vic card i mean it's that much graphics that much handling that much stuff going on this is why there are pc
0: gamers because you can build a pc that is it's a bigger box it has more fans in it it has better cooling you know you can but but the
1: experience is just
2: yeah oh yeah yeah make for some killer i mean you can kick on Dolby 5.1 and it works ah nice i mean uh, it's it's tight it really is. Uh, it, but if you're into that kind of thing and, and you've got a machine that'll run it, yeah. uh, check out
0: Diablo 3. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, also funny that, that a rendering computer would be perfect for that.
3: Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> great!
1: Most of the people in the world who are playing it right now are people who work at, like, government facilities. and uh, yeah, Like in uh, The Avengers, the guy who's, like, playing... Was it Asteroid or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs>
2: guys playing That's Galaga? Really, thought yeah. we wouldn't notice. <laughs> but I did. Well, yeah. We, we had one of the salespeople loaded on his little sales machine computer and it smoked his vid card in about 20 minutes. I mean, it was just like... Wow. You know, and, and, you know, it just... The screen went black. And I'm like, oh, you started to smell kind of funny. Oh, you know, yeah. And I'm like, he's like, I don't know what happened. I'm like, you were playing Diablo, weren't you? he's like, yeah. You smoked your vid card, too. You know, the rendering computer, uh I don't know, that rendering must be tough. It needs a new video <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rendering machine did not need a new VID card. Damn, it did you, had, know? you know, it's it's got four. I'm for the other it. one. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's just it's just Something bad. Something happened. Yeah, Something it's, happened. it's old. It's old. It's old Yeah, it's all it is. But
0: yeah, um I, I hear that uh they actually gave Iron Man three a budget increase.
2: Yeah you hear about that? Yeah, we were talking about that on Legends last week. It, it was just... and If any movie... I mean, because normally it's the other way around. Normally they're like, no, 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 no. You get this much money and that's all you get. You <laughs> right. Uh, the There's this one. You know, if you have to bet on somebody... We were talking about this uh, in Legends. If you have to bet on somebody, betting on Iron Man, probably safe money. You know? <laughs> I'm just saying... I'm betting you're not going to get a Spider-Man 3 out of this. Uh, it's for all intents and purposes, it's it's pretty safe money. Yeah, I'm betting that uh
0: from what everybody says, there's a good chance that it'll be an improvement uh beyond 2 because uh you know 2 was very much a uh kind of a lead into the uh uh to the Avengers movie whereas uh 3 was is supposed to be all Iron Man again. Yeah. And All Iron Man all the time. And I enjoyed Two, first of all. I mean I, I know some people seem to be down on it. I, I thought two was a great movie. I thought it was a great movie. I did not like it as much as one. No, of
2: course not. I but, agree. I agree. Yeah.
1: But but, but simply one is because, a high standard.
2: Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's other than Avengers, it is one of the best comic book movies I have seen. Agreed agreed. Yeah. Period.
0: So so the idea of going back to, you know, the All Iron Man format like one where you have Yeah, um, I don't see the problem. Yeah, not only that, but you have the richness of character depth that was added into and in the Avengers movie, you know, where, where Tony Stark and and Iron Man were relatively important characters in, in the movie. I I just I can't see how it can't be a total win. I'm like you, I mean that's like that's not it probably even shouldn't be news.
2: That's not like a Yeah. They decided it's gonna make money. What do you know? Yeah. <laughs> wow, taking big risks there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, but it is a sign that even studio execs who are notoriously dense and moronic have <laughs> recognize recognized the painfully obvious <laughs> the painfully obvious it you will know? play
1: in Peoria. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly
2: correct. You know, so that's that's cool. Uh, also in further dragon related news, uh Dragon Dogma. Have you guys heard of this? No. Uh it's a it's a PlayStation or not PlayStation uh uh Xbox three sixty game. Uh I have seen the trailers for it and done a very very basic uh, gameplay, and it looks pretty sweet. Now, of course, uh, you know disclaimers. I am a dragon whore. So, <laughs> well, you remember when I was at Comic Con, I was sending you like pictures
0: of people play, playing playing pre release of dragon games. Yeah, whether they look good or not. Yeah, I,
2: <laughs> if it has dragons as a main Gonna part of the, check g- that the out. story. I will buy, you will get my $40, $50, you know, 60 if it's really good. See you know. later this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Skyrim came out, had about a bunch of dragons. I'm in. You know, do I play Skyrim before that? No. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they didn't have dragons before that. Now they have dragons. I'm down. So uh, I saw the commercial for it. The dragons look amazing. Uh, it's, it's an RPG type of thing. Uh, really cool. I'm really anxious to see somebody who's actually played it. And see what they say. Now, of course, everybody says it's the best thing ever in the commercials and everything. That's a complete lie. Uh, but let's, I really want to see this because the dragons look fantastic. And uh, for 360, the rendering looked really great. So, uh, of course, as big as Skyrim was slash is, uh, there have been a lot more dragon games in the pipeline now than there were a couple years ago. Uh, because people realize that dragon genre is not dead. Uh, I mean, the, the, no, the comic books have been really close. getting the the attention and all that stuff, and of course, first person shooters and and all that. And dragon games are both expensive and difficult to do. Yeah, so I can see that. It's you know, it's always a gamble. Uh, you take the risk of either the dragons look crappy or the gameplay is crappy because right. you know it's difficult to. To do those mechanics, you know, you got a person who is generally speaking stuck on the ground and a dragon, which is not.
3: Well,
0: I remember that a lot of the kind of, you know, Skyrim, because of its real open sandbox nature, had a lot of kind of bugs early on, because no matter how much you test a sandbox environment,
2: you're going to run. And I remember that a lot of them were related to the dragons. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like a lot of them. It is very difficult to do dragons, and, and they do weird stuff like... Uh, I had a dragon, you know, because you first you have to find one, then you have to call one, <laughs> then you have to kill it, right? Oh, well, yeah. And uh, well, sometimes they will just flat attack you if you get too close to them. But uh, one I called and and uh, you know, it came flying to me, and and I was all ready to do my tack. I stepped out of the way, got my damn horse out of the way. Everything was cool, and the f- dragon flew right through the mountain and yep. landed in it.
1: <laughs> I well, hit it with that incredible. happens.
3: Like, well, hell
2: what am I supposed to do? And all you can see is like little wingtips flashing outside. of the. Hey, side can of I it. attack the wingtip? I'm like, well, can I hit that? No. All right, good. Well, this is useless, you know, and it stayed there the Don't. rest of the game. It was always there. I never killed it. It was, uh, you could always walk by this mountain and there's a little wingtip. Oh uh, yes. The dragon in the mountain, the dragon in the mountain, you know, so I just assumed it was going to be lore. It is now, it is now the dragon lore that this is the dragon like in the Data's mountain. Brother. Yeah yes just yeah, the like dragon that. version the dragon version yeah
1: <laughs> the evil twin yeah, so he's just, yeah exactly
0: you go find the good one he's it reminds just you hanging of that out.
1: atlantis where there's that like fake or no it wasn't atlantis it was um eureka recently in eureka with the the fake um universe where they can
0: oh, the clipping the clipping errors yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny they mentioned that and like and like audra's like clipping and Juan and i are like ah <laughs> You get used to that playing like uh, early, early 3D games. There were always clipping problems. Like I know, you know, I know
1: what clipping is.
0: My favorite. Are you
1: saying I didn't know what clipping was?
0: At the moment, you had you had kind of looked at it. You were like, "What?"
1: I was probably asking about something else. I oh, know, I know well, what a clipping my bad. is.
2: My favorite was in Dark Ages of Camelot. You could go down in this dungeon and uh, you could provoke whatever monsters you want. And there was this corner that wasn't quite that it didn't quite meet. And if you like ran into this corner and like hit left and right really just at the same time, you'd wiggle through it to oh. the other end of the dungeon and it'd take the, the attacking monsters like thirty minutes to get through it. So you could <laughs> heal up and, you know, do your potions nice. and all that kind of stuff and then wait for this. so you got basically two rounds with that. Unless one of your party got stuck in the wall and then, you know, it would just you just get annihilated. But yeah, clipping path errors are always fun. Uh and with these games, you know, that it's very difficult to to get them because they're so expensive and because they they are so large now, especially when you do the open sandbox type of stuff like Skyrim. Skyrim was ridiculous. You, I mean, the first week of Skyrim, it was basically just an update every eight hours. Uh, they <laughs> which is just, awesome. Which yeah. is fine, and they would fix everything they could, you know. And and it about three weeks in, it was a really solid game. There was there was some there was still some issues and still some stuff that you could exploit, and they did leave some things in. That you could exploit if you really wanted to, because uh, they're like, well, this is just better gameplay right here, you know? Yeah, so. there's
0: just with that that open a, a format. There's just no way to really get it figured out until you get that many people playing.
2: Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, there was uh, there was a great thing that if you um, if you had an arrow and you hit someone in the uh, like the, the back. Knee? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> that would have been great. But if you hit them in the <laughs> like if you graze them anywhere in the back of the neck, they just fall over dead. It doesn't matter how much points, how much armor, how much anything, if you hit them right in the back of the neck, they're dead. Huh. Regardless of armor class, potions, magic, anything, they're dead. And they're like, well, hell, we're leaving that in. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really cool. But yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see. It's called Dragon Dogma. I saw the, the stuff for it, uh, I guess, about two days ago. I really, really want to see it. So I, hopefully somebody out there will have played it.
1: You know, while you're uh, talking about video games, I wanted to um, jump in. I don't, I don't have like all of the results in front of me, but the BAFTAs were this weekend, the uh, British Academy of Film and Television Awards, and uh, they also have nicely like, done. <laughs> yeah, they also have a, a like Britannia Award and and like international awards, and but they do more than just film and TV. They also have a video game section, um, and I was looking. I'm not positive, and I, I know I should be more informed. I, I think that. In order to qualify, um, it has to... I'm not sure if the creators of the game have to be associated with the UK or or something like that. At least that's what I'm wondering since Mass Effect isn't on any of the nominee list. (laughs) Um, But, uh, let's see, let's see. Anyway, um, an overview, Batman Arkham City and Assassin's Creed Revelations kind of swept everything. Like in terms of art and design and story, um, audio. It's pretty awesome. Um, Portal 2 is nominated for a few things here. Um, Skyrim is nominated for a couple things.
2: Yeah, here, uh, I guess uh, earlier this year when they did the awards, uh, it was pretty much uh, Arkham Asylum or, you know, uh, Batman... Was it Arkham Asylum or Gotham City or Ar-
1: Arkham City? Arkham
2: City, that's yeah. right. It was in there somewhere. Uh, you know, the Arkham City, uh, Assassin's Creed, and Skyrim pretty much swept everything earlier this year. Bef- yeah, I mean, because they had yeah. the the American ones before Mass Effect Three came out. So uh, it was, uh, and it might even been last year's. But yeah, that does not surprise me. Especially for the art on Assassin's Creed, which has always been superior to almost everything out there, as far as some oh of their, my God. their texture mapping yeah, and lighting awesome. and everything, and it's the really lightside. And and, yeah, uh, I don't I think actually an
1: award for historical research.
2: Yeah, I, I don't yeah. actually like playing the game, but I love seeing the art. It's yeah. really, really well done.
1: The um, the BAFTA is also um, one big thing that was uh, that we were waiting to hear about for them was uh, Sherlock because Sherlock was up for a number of awards for um, you know best actor, supporting actor. Uh, best TV series and all that. Um, it didn't take away as many as we hoped. Um, Stephen Moffat won the the special award, um, which is kind of the like single person. I think it's like a, you know how at the Oscars or whatever they'll have like lifetime achievement. Um, but uh, Benedict Cumberbatch did not get leading actor. Um, but who did win from uh, Sherlock is Andrew Scott, the guy who plays Moriarty. Oh. One for Best Leading huh. Actor, which I can totally see. Um, and that's pretty impressive, considering there have only been six episodes of that show you that know they were though, able to take. Uh,
0: yeah, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is doing an incredible thing with that show. And not just because the character is cool and because he's kind of an interesting guy, but because I think that that character is extremely difficult to play, more so than maybe most people think. Um Benedict Cumberbatch did an interview on the uh, the Bullseye show. It's an N- N- NPR show that uh, that also comes out as a podcast. And, and the podcast on which he was on, and I'm not sure which one it is, but it's in the description, so it's easy to find on iTunes if you want to. He did an interview and uh, talked about the role and, and how difficult – well, yeah. he wasn't making it out to be difficult, but he was just talking about the role and was talking about how the dialogue is insanely difficult. Oh, I can't
1: even imagine.
0: And not only that, but the the nuance. Jim
1: Parsons, the, eat your heart out, right? <laughs> well,
0: and and the nuance required to play the role, you know, because he's this guy that uh, is asexual and then not, as we discover in in season two, and and then he's also uh, he has very strange motivations that that drive him, but there are motivations there, and. This, all the little odd affectations and everything. If you think that's him, it's not. You know, he he's he literally. That's is, not
1: Cumberbatch, That's the character. Yeah, he's, yeah, he is
0: calculating all of that stuff, and then has to put all that on and spit out all that dialogue. And uh, it's it's pretty pretty scary, actually. Well,
1: the other thing I think that's important is that that show is reigniting the Arthur Conan Doyle stories. Awesome. In a way that even the Robert Downey Jr. movies, which I like, in a way that those movies did not do. And uh, Sherlock Holmes is now the number one most uh, frequently or most many times portrayed literary figure um, in all of media. Yeah, And... uh,
0: he mentioned that. He said that there were like 36, 34, something like that. I don't remember actors that yeah. had played the role prior. So he's like, imagine that, that you step into this role.
1: It's like being Bond, you know, 10 times over.
0: Y- yeah. <laughs> with a much longer history. and, Doctor and just Who. Scary. And that's not even counting like on the stage, you know, there have been thousands. And, and and finding a new way to portray that, that is honest to the character and everything is is magic and i think that that his interpretation definitely scored him the role and i think that it's an important part of the character build overall obviously moffat has a lot to say about that but um but i think the two of them together brought this character to life in a way that wouldn't have happened without one or the other you know
1: yeah and um Oh, crap. I, I totally lost my train of thought. Sorry. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. If people are interested on Twitter, there's an account called Baker Street Babes. Huh. Um, it's Baker nice. ST Babes. And uh, it's just a, it's a fan group. And they um, follow what's going on with everything to do with Sherlock and, and Benedict Cumberbatch and everything. So,
0: Well, you should yeah. definitely check out that podcast interview if you're into Benedict mm-hmm. Cumberbatch. Yeah. He tells a story uh, about... I guess in South Africa when they were they were shooting something not for a show for a different thing, uh, he they actually were carjacked and left for dead. Wow! And, uh, um, and and he talks about the experience and and what you know what he draws on from it and it's it's cool you should check it out. Obviously it's not an easy listen necessarily because he's so expressive yeah. that when he tells a story like that it's it's pretty compelling, but wow. worth a listen.
1: I'm interested in the show that, that like did sweep the TV awards. It's called uh, appropriate adult. I've never heard of it, but it took leading actor, leading actress and, uh, supporting actress. Wow. Yeah. And these people are beating out people like Maggie Smith and Martin Freeman and, and Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean,
0: yeah. Yeah. One, one last little kind of fun piece of news. Um, interesting piece of news that's related to that. I, I guess Moffat had admitted in the last week that that the long delay on Doctor Who is is on purpose, that it's not like a uh, necessarily just production-related, that they, based on their experience with, and, and I'm paraphrasing, so if I get this wrong, somebody let me know, but but based on their experience with with uh, Sherlock, they feel like Doctor Who should be like an, a BBC event. It shouldn't be just like it's stuff that's on all the time, you right? Know?
1: And people get tired of it, and
0: yeah, and
2: and
1: they get they take it for granted or something.
2: Well, they don't want Star Trek burnout.
0: I guess yeah, but you know? Sherlock kind of showed a weird opportunity with that i think in a lot of ways they made that odd selection of hey you know we have we have funding for six episodes so instead of that uh we're just gonna do three and we're gonna make them 90 minutes long and we're gonna make them insanely good and you like
1: movies yeah you're gonna get
0: three cinema quality like incredible
2: pieces of art and, but they're only going to come out three a year, you know, it's like having a good city planner, you know, <laughs> Yeah, really. they, they just kind of, they've a the long view. Yeah. They figured out the trajectory. They just, they're letting you in on it at certain times, you know, uh, BBC seems to be like, it's almost like they got witches. It's not binaries, it's, it's a
3: false one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> They just they just figure better. this stuff out and you know do their alchemy and and everything and and produce these these just insanely good shows and they do that across the board. It's not yeah. just with drama either. Yeah, it's I mean true. they do sci-fi. They do, uh, you know, they started to do. Um, have you ever looked at any of their periphery car shows? No. Holy crap! Yeah. They they are both complimentary and equally as entertaining as Top Gear. Nice. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, Yo. annoying. You know, that we're, we're stuck with this crap over here. <laughs> BBC is like yeah. you know, Titans. Uh,
1: speaking of uh, Sherlock and Star Trek, uh Chuck came across a picture the other day that he pointed out to me of of Cumberbatch, like just a paparazzi photo of him like walking on the beach or something. Yeah, I thought Audrey would want to see that. <laughs> and he's apparently kind of like the latest in a line of actors who's bulking up probably not as much as Captain America, but but no. he's putting on a significant amount of muscle to, so where he's going from kind of a what I would say is a pretty thin guy, even skinny, you know, to not bulky, but, but solid, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. The sad part is, is that I, and I, that's what I pointed out when I saw it, I was like, Oh man, that looks really good and really hard. And you know, the sad part is, is I'm betting he's going to have to lose it for, for Sherlock to go
1: back to Sherlock. Yeah. You know, it's freaky. I saw this ad yesterday. I normally don't talk about specific ads because it's boring. But this one was for American Apparel. It was just a print ad in a magazine. And it was a model, a guy modeling jeans. And instead of all the models that you're used to seeing, this guy was, like, freakishly thin. I mean, you're not used to seeing guys portrayed that way. You know what I mean? Like, we... Unfortunately, the industry did that to women a long time ago. But this guy looked like... I don't know. I mean, it was weird. And he had these... um, he had these jeans, like, really high-waisted jeans and no shirt on. And he had scruffy brown hair and, like, a shaggy beard. And I was like, yes. is this, like, hipster model or something? <laughs> like, I just, I don't get it, you know? It was it was really, it was disturbing how, like, freaky skinny he was. So, I'm glad to see uh, some people have the right idea in her.
2: Let's we'll take Cumberbatch on the next one.
0: Not anymore. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Not for that company so this week uh it's my turn with Woo. the uh the the gwc whatever the hell we're calling it stuff uh things Rolling that are important to way. us yeah yeah that's yeah. what i
0: put on the it, we we had like six names none of them were like perfect yeah
2: but but uh, mine is Here on the Crown uh, by Robin McKinley, and it uh, it came to me, I guess, in seventh grade, I guess. This is I, an awesome story. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was in seventh grade, do seventh grade English, and uh, I was new to Texas, so I knew, knew nobody, and everything was new to me.
1: The book was only about four years old at that point, too.
2: Uh, let's see.
1: Four or five years old.
2: This was 88, 89, so yeah. 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 It's nice uh but we uh showed up in seventh grade english and and scholastically before i got to art school i was not exactly what you'd call a stellar student uh in fact craptastic is probably the word that could be used to describe <laughs> me uh it was i wouldn't know anything about that yeah, yeah it was it was not fun uh and like i said until i got to art school and, and did well but uh, English was always one of those troubled things for me because I did not like to read the crap that people handed me. It was always stuff I wasn't interested in. I didn't like it. I just enormously uh, felt hugely against anybody making me do anything and making me do crap I didn't want to do. No, uh, I just, I always resented it. And
1: I know your mom and I know that she worked hard to pick out like movies and and toys and stuff that she thought you'd like. Did she do that with books?
2: You know, she did, but it it was a struggle to get me to read because it was she didn't know exactly how to tackle it because they didn't really have a whole lot of stellar uh, giant robot fiction uh, at the time, at especially, the time, not, huh? especially for young people. not for my level. Yeah. I, also accessibility was different back then. This right. is something Way I think different. people forget. And yeah, yeah. we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, we couldn't just go throw cash at this. So yeah, I was a little light on, on some of the reading I did. And, uh, well, in fact, on a lot of reading now I was up on comic books and, and she was getting concepts down to me, you know, in the comic books and everything, which you can do. Uh, and I would go and, and get different things, but really I wasn't into I'll use the finger quotes literature. Uh, I hadn't read a lot that I liked. I really wasn't into sci fi yet because I hadn't tapped the things. I mean, well, i hadn't read... experienced any of it. You How know, would you know? I, I read some small stuff like um, Isaac Asimov did uh, the Norby Chronicles. Really loved them. Which is kind of a kid, young adult. Yeah, my yeah. mom was trying. Yeah. I mean, she uh, it was That's young awesome. adult yeah. Asimov robots, you know, but I wasn't ready for the. You know the the hardcore Asimov stuff. I didn't understand it. I was and twelve.
0: It's pretty dead. His style well, his style is sort of inaccessible in some ways. Yeah, especially. And,
2: and I tried it, and I wasn't into it. And there was, and I wasn't old enough for like Heinlein, and I'd never really a huge Heinlein <laughs> fan anyway. Right? Uh, I can't
1: imagine your mom pushing Heinlein on she you. She wouldn't. Anyway. Have. She
2: didn't. As a matter of fact, so it, there really wasn't a whole lot for me, and I I had never read any fantasy because it never occurred to her. Right. This would be something. And so seventh grade happens and everybody's reading The Outsiders.
3: Of course.
2: Oh, yeah. I did not want to. I'm like, I'm not reading it. And I had a seventh grade English teacher. Her name is Mrs. Wilhelm. And I love her to this day. She's now the, uh, I think, principal or superintendent over at the same, at Crum, uh, the same school I was at. And <laughs> she's like,
3: just, <laughs> <yeah>. uh, <laughs> whatever she's, the scream goes. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, but she, she was always really cool, but she, she, I had talked with her and uh, always in the group, I was very articulate and I could explain the way I felt about things and everything like that, but I didn't do the reading and I, and it probably by, and she's like, you're more than smart enough to read this. Why aren't you reading it? I'm like, I'm not reading it. It's crap. She's like, it's not crap. I'm like, Nope, not reading. It. I have no interest in that. And it made her mad. And I knew it made her mad. She, she hated when students refuse to read. Cause she's like, look, you're going to need to learn to do this. There's a whole world out there for you. You're going to want something. And, uh, no, not doing it. And she, she finally gave me detention over it. And she's just frustrated. And in detention, she, I showed a captive up captive audience. Yeah. I showed up and she's like, okay, look, I understand you're not connecting with the outsiders. I'm like, not only am I not connecting, this is not going to happen. She's like, Fine. It doesn't happen, but we got a whole other pile of books behind this that you're going to have to read. And I don't think you're going to be into any of these. And she's like, but you're going to have to read them. I think there's stuff that you can get out of this. There's always something. And this is where I get it. There's always something of value in anything you read. There's always something that you can pick up out of it. Even if you don't like the rest of it, there's always something of value. Okay, fair enough. I'm not reading that. So she's like, fine. I got another book for you. I don't you.
1: want anything of value. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, you know what? I as bad as I am now, is twenty times worse then. And she's like, Fine, I tell you what, I got something else for you. I'm like, Yeah, I bet you do. You know, what is it? Shakespeare, you know, what what is how bad is this gonna be? And she hands me this book. It was the hero on the crown, and on the in the front, it was her copy of it. And it was a first edition hardback. And it had this beautifully painted dragon and this uh, uh, knight, obviously with a sword and a white stallion rearing. I mean, it was it was the first one. It had the Newberry seal on it and everything. She's like, "I want you to read this. Everybody else is going to be doing Outsiders. You're going to read this.
1: You scored, man."
2: And I'm like, "Yeah, what's it about?" She's like, "Well, it's about a a chick, a red haired chick, dragon slayer. Really." yeah and I'm gonna be reading this. she's like, yes, you are, and if you don't want to read it, you don't have to read it if you don't like this, you don't have to read any of the books this year Pfft, okay you know she's like and we're gonna she's like you're gonna get detention every week and we're gonna talk about this every week you're gonna come in here and you're gonna to talk to me about this book okay I went home and uh, I read it in three hours I mean just I, once I picked it up, I couldn't put it back down, and then I read it again the You next read day. this
1: book in three hours?
2: Um, to, I don't have any problem reading I'm guessing the first time. Yeah. No,
1: I, I'm not saying... I never thought you did. I'm saying that I put three hours in and got, you know... I, I would get through like, a, you know... 50 pages of this book in three hours you
2: read differently yeah you read a lot differently i didn't get as near as much i wanted to know the story once i saw what was going on
1: <laughs> i like, was I, trying to memorize all the names <laughs> yeah i'm like
0: <laughs> and what's know? funny is i'm like that's in the awesome. middle
2: between the two of you yeah yeah like and and there's no it's not like good or bad it's just we approach it different yeah. ways and i'm like tell me the story tell me the story tell me the story tell me the that's story that's awesome and uh, i blew through in about three hours and then i'm like holy crap and then i read it again and this one took a couple days and then, Cause I'm at this point I'm holy crap. And uh, by the time I had reached the first attention the next year or the next week, I had read it five times.
3: <laughs> you know, That's awesome.
2: And she's like, all right, now let's talk about the first couple of chapters. No no, 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 no. I want to talk about this. You know, what is this? And for the next six weeks, we wound up talking and going over this book more than I had gone over anything ever. And it got me into reading. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? You know, cause I, I obviously aced all the reports on it and all the stuff and, and everything. And then I read the outsiders the next week and uh, sure enough, she was right. There's stuff you get from that. And, and <laughs> Did you read else. the,
1: um, what is it? The blue sword? Cause in this, fact, that it? was
2: the, this is the sequel. No, it's the, pr- or, the yeah, prequel. The prequel right? yeah, yeah. The prequel to the blue sword, the blue sword actually came out and, and people wanted to know about Aaron Firehair, And she's like, well, fine. I'll tell you about it. And it was a spectacular story. And I read the blue story. She had. I'm like, well, what, what now? Which, is what is, what now? And she's like, well, actually, there's another one. And it's, it's more about Gaunter. And I'm like, oh! you know. So <laughs> I blew through that one in a day. And they still to this now. They are my favorite books ever that I've read. If somebody says, you know, gets a, a young, oh, I want a book for a kid. There you go. I will go find a copy of it. Uh, it's. I don't think it's really in print anymore. Uh, but any use any used bookstore worth its salt will have a copy. Uh, I have six copies. Uh, one is, and she wound up giving me her copy of it.
1: Wow! Uh, so That's I cool. have a, a good teacher
2: first edition uh, hardback with uh, with everything on it. And and she's like, "Here you go. Uh, you keep this. It's it's worth more to you than it is to me." So I have that one. I have the one I read, and then I have others to loan to people.
1: That's like me with uh, A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. <laughs> I have like different editions, you know, the one that Chuck got me when we first started dating with uh, a Madeline Langle signed nameplate in it and and I have a library edition that I found and like an old first edition and
3: Yeah, it, you
1: know, the one that I read, and the one that I give away and the yeah, one- <laughs> Exactly.
2: It, it became that for me and and it actually got me into reading. I I started burning up any Book about dragons I could find because this was the the coolest thing. It, it hit all the things: hot chick, awesome horse, badass dragon stuff, swords, uh, you know, medieval stuff. And this became my genre for a long time. I mean, I, it, after that, uh, I blew through uh, Forgotten Realms and you know the you know the Dragon Rider series, and you know started graduating into Pern, and, which is a little dry and long. Don't start at Pern. If you're ever, ever going to get into dragons, don't start at Pern. Uh, but just all that stuff, Dragonlance, everything to do with dragons. Uh, I started tabletop gaming after that, playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons and everything. It really became a significant part of who I am because of this book and this teacher who would not let it go. And I have always been thankful to her uh, since then. Because it became, a lar- like I said, a large chunk of who I am and What I get out of things, uh, how I approach things, how I approach uh, value from stories and everything came from her. Uh, my mom, of course, is a big chunk of that, but her, she would not let it go and basically forced me in the best way I I know how to deal with a obstinate 12 year old, you know, 12, 13 year old who was convinced he was not going to read this stuff, made him do it and uh, in the right way. So that was my um, my Admiral Pike sitting there in the, in, in the bar. You <laughs> I know, dare
1: you to do better? I
2: dare you to do the. You know, uh, so I, I dare you not to like this. You know, if you don't like it, you don't have to do any more. But I bet you are going to. You know, uh, you can't not like this. So, I,
1: you know what's really awesome, Sean, is that this book is not. It's not a simple or or easy read. It's not a difficult read either. It's just, it's a really, um, it's sophisticated. And I was telling Chuck that I would describe the writing style as literary. It's not that kind of uh, really popular, straightforward kind of prose that you get in a lot of YA fiction.
2: No, it's not. Because a lot
1: of times they, I, I, it's not the same as dumbing it down, but they kind of, the prose can sometimes be not very artistic. Like it's just sort of direct and... It's almost like they're trying to, um, like the narrator thinks that in order to reach 7th graders, I need to sound like a 7th grader. Right. And The Hero in the Crown does not do that at all. It's, um, you know, my favorite fantasy series as a kid was The Chronicles of Narnia. And one thing that C.S. Lewis always did that I admired was that he wrote like an adult, you know, writing in an adult way material that was appropriate and interesting and accessible to kids. And that's what this feels like. It feels like an adult telling a story that adults can appreciate, but it happens to be um, things that attract, you know, ideas that would be uh, appealing to kids.
0: Well, see, that's that's an interesting take because I think you nailed it. It's the, the appropriate in in my opinion, you know, direction for children to, to adjust literature for children is not to dumb it down, but to address it to their interests. Because it seems to me that the best thing reading and communications teachers, reading, writing, speaking, all of that can do at, at the young adult level, at, at junior high, at high school, is like is to explain how these things apply to you, how these things are useful to you, rather than presenting them as hurdles that you must overcome, presenting them as tools for your own enjoyment and betterment and, and, and directions. You know, I've always been fascinated with how often at the, uh, especially at the, at the junior high, high school level, education is presented as work. You know, it's presented as as things that you must do and maybe you'll get something out of it. But but the real benefit is that you just got to do this, because if you don't, you can't move on. And the benefit of that stuff is not about not being able to move on. The benefit of that stuff is about increasing your capability to express yourself, to become yourself, since you're still doing that at that time and hopefully even later, you know, and integrating those skills as part of that. Is what lifetime learning is about, you know, and people who are lifetime learners are, are smarter, are, are more happy, are, are more successful in, in whatever way they choose to be successful or to, to, to travel, you know, and, and that's how it starts.
1: There's a lot of scholarship written about that very issue. And I, I read this article once and I'll see if I can find it and put it on the forum or whatever, but it's a it's an academic article um, that talks about why it's such a problem, the way that we as teachers in schools and everything, the way that we present literature to kids, especially like middle school and high school kids. Yeah. And the woman used the analogy of like treating it like a medicine, yeah. like, like this yeah. is a pill. Well and, said. you know, by taking your medicine... You will be, um, you know, healthy in a certain way, and that means by shoving this literature down your throat, making you read it. It doesn't matter if you like it, doesn't matter if you care about it, if you enjoy it, if you understand. Nothing matters except that you suffer through it, and that when you come out the other side, society will deem you a better person and more worthy because you have suffered through this text. Which and is completely
2: untrue. It's BS.
1: It's absolutely BS. It's in a every bunch way. of crap. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And. You know, and and she poses a a, you know an idea in this article that maybe if we could be more flexible in the reading lists, which interestingly enough is what Mrs. Wilhelm does, right, for (laughs) sure. She says maybe if we could be more flexible and try to you know, she says obviously we have to you know make kids do some things. You know, you have to make them read if they're you know even if they don't want to read, but you don't have to make them read. X, Y, and Z. You don't have to make them read it in exactly the way that you want, you know. Why not give them some creative opportunity to choose something that interests them because she says it's more important at that age to create somebody or or to create uh, to help someone find a spark and an interest in reading so that they become a lifelong learner and thus have a richer life experience.
0: See Sean's experience than it is to,
1: you know, Even if
0: you feel like they need to read those certain things, which I, I think is true, Sean's experience is a great example of how they're not mutually exclusive, like allowing some flexibility in the list. Didn't just teach Sean that he could read cool stuff. It taught him to find things. And that was the the big trick. She didn't just say, I think she didn't just say, well, you can read this instead of that. She said, but we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And that type of discussion showed him, as he said just a moment ago, hey, the next thing I did was the next week, read the book I was supposed to read. And guess what? There was stuff in there. Well, now when, I knew how to found, find it. You yeah. Know?
1: when you talk about literature as well, it changes the way you read. yeah. and if if you read in a way where you expect to talk about it and you've you've had that conversation, then the next time you read, you start thinking you start asking yourself questions as you're going, like and why are the characters TV. doing this or, yeah. or, or? Why did the narrator <laughs> choose? Why doesn't the narrator reveal Aaron's first name until the end of the first chapter? You know, and you start asking yourself yourself stuff like that. Even if you don't know the answer, asking the question is what gets, you know, is what ramps that experience up from just letting the words flow over you. Okay, this happened, then this happened to like your world, like we were talking about with the TV show.
2: Yeah, she... Actually pounded into me a, a couple like critical thinking type things and and uh, forcing me to to look at it from different perspectives, which I had never done before. I I did a little bit with my mom and she, you know, said, oh, well, what'd you get out of this or what'd you think and all that stuff. But uh, uh, Miss Wilhelm just beat the hell out of me with it. She's like, really? I think the book is from Talit's point of view. I'm like, no, it's not. It's from Aaron. She's like, really? I can defend my position. Can you defend yours? <laughs> And she would, and we walk through. You know what is the book about? And and as an English teacher who had obviously read and enjoyed the book before and done this way more times than I had, she actually, you know, for about three weeks, convinced me the book was written from Talat's point of view. You know? <laughs> and I finally got her at the very end to. to to recant for it you know which is all her she was doing anyway oh, yeah. I mean, she she's was running me through exercises yeah it. you know and and i made several points and, and and everything and and saying that this this is her voice and she was talking about this and she's referring to talent here as this and and uh she's like yeah that's right i'm like what do you mean that's right you know you've been hounding me for the last three weeks she's like, yeah i knew that crap <laughs> you know, i've been had again you know, and she and we would do that and through i had her from seventh grade up until tenth grade uh when i had another english teacher i've never had a better one uh ever and she i i probably and even after we stopped reading books and, and like the ninth grade where it was more focused on writing papers and everything like that uh, i would still go and talk to her about books she's read and stuff i've read and she would hand me stuff and and now, later on, I come to find out that she was a dragon freak, too. Nice. and That's cool. And just recognize it. Because, you know, I would win, draw even then. And I was drawing, you know, like, you know, Godzilla and, and everything like and a dragon or two. But she's like, yeah, you know. And uh, later on, after I got out of art school, I sent her a, uh, my first uh, 2D paintbrush Photoshop dragon, you know, and signed it and everything and sent that to her. Uh, she she was responsible for a great deal of my childhood reading or, you know, my young adult reading uh, from the time where like seventh grade to I graduated in 10th grade. I once my mom found the used bookstore, which is another key to that, you know, because at the time there was no Internet. Yeah. Like you
1: said, Chuck, accessibility. Yeah. Was, I
2: mean, it yeah. just it was a different time and I didn't have any cash. There were you know, no really. used bookstores where I yeah. grew
1: up in this rural area. So yeah. it was like the school library, which was tiny. And the Scholastic book order that came yeah. around, yeah. which oh, we, I, I could that. afford to, my parents could afford two to get books, me like one or two know? books a month. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. It, uh, like every, not every week, but every month, you know? Right. And, and it uh, would take
1: like six weeks for your books to come in. Yeah. You know, it was awesome. You, you pay like when, your $8 and then your, your, your
2: <laughs> <plastic> <laughs> box would come in. And you'd be
1: like, like, oh! oh my God. It was like, they smelled
2: like fresh book, you know, and you're just like,
1: this is awesome.
0: You know what I found though? I found that a lot of the other kids whose parents had like lots of cash and bought lots of books, like a lot of times they when, wouldn't rate them. Yeah. And they would, they would buy whatever was on the list. Cause they just, everybody was sure. doing it. And then you could con them out of the books relatively quickly after they yeah because they didn't care yeah you could trade like nothing for them uh or sometimes just even get them by asking you know worth a try that's awesome
1: (laughs) i I was gonna say one other thing that really helped me was we did a book swap yeah i was
0: gonna say did yours do that
1: we had you know those little Uh library carts that are about four feet tall and three feet wide we We had that too we had one of like that just one and and you could you could bring one book and then you could take one book at a time. But you had to bring one if you were going to take one. And uh, that's where I got The Secret of Nim. Or it- Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim was the book Which book. is
2: the, the movie with Secret of Nim. Right.
1: right. And, and, and the book had been, you know how they, after the movie comes out, they like repackaged the oh, book. Oh,
2: sure. Yeah. With all the. But art. that's
1: where I, I came across it randomly. I was like, this looks kind of interesting. And I read it and I was like, holy crap. You know, and I. I started um, like furiously, you know, finding other books that I didn't want that I could get, you know, and try to get better stuff off the trade. And it was cool because I had books I didn't want that were like about, you know, sports and, and oh, all kinds sure. of stuff that I didn't care about. And, and the guys in my class were like, sweet, you know, like throw away this like secret and nim crap that my mom got me, you know, and I'm like, yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. We, we, uh, once we found, when I started really reading, uh, we, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know. Was a little older, maybe a year or two, and I had read everything in the house that I was interested in reading, you know, and all the stuff in the library, which did not have a great science fiction and fantasy section. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? In, well, they can in Crum Public I've Library. I've seen the library the in,
0: in Crum. It's yeah, like it, it's like about three, two and a half, three times the size of this room.
2: Yeah, it, it's yeah. you just can't physically have all that yeah. stuff, and and they had they a, try. Yeah, they do, and they do a great job, and it's actually bigger now than than it used to be. But uh, they added. A room, you know, and there's there's more stuff, but there were at the time only three or four shelves, and I burned through all of the ones that I was anyway exactly
1: re- how' ours was re- close
2: to reading that i I was done, you know, and I had read all the stuff, and uh again, my mom being badass like she oh, yeah. was, found the used bookstore in Denton, and, oh yeah, nice, you know she reads romance novels like most people eat lunch. <laughs> She can read close to 2,000 words a minute with wildly high comprehension uh, and just blows through romance novels like water. So she had close to 400 of them. And we went to the used bookstore, and they gave us like 200 bucks worth of credit. And I was now set for the summer.
1: Wait, gave you? (laughs)
2: Yeah. You turn the books you, you in. You turn the books her, in. Her, sold her oh. romance novels back. Oh, that's
1: awesome. Which you did she like was a trade in. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. And oh, that's we got sweet. about 200 bucks worth of credit. And she's like, look, look for older books. Because, you know, at the half price bookstore, the bookstores. Yep. bookstore. Just, and they great. used to actually sell those for. You
0: remember you used to do that, Audra? Yeah. You'd find the ones copies that was labeled 34 cents and get it for 19.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could find first editions, you know, and the more nasty and old and, and it is, the cheaper it was. So you could get like five books for
1: a dollar yeah, yeah. a couple bucks <laughs> you know
2: nothing so we loaded up and in one summer i blew through 300 400 books just because i mean i all the fantasy because they use bookstore of course what's everybody turn in romance stuff fantasy novels sci-fi yeah. stuff everything well that,
1: it's mass produced it's inexpensive yeah it's popular
2: you know so i got all of it and it was, and I still have a big chunk of it. I mean, that's when I got a little older. My dad started doing the, you know, the Piers Anthony, the Heinlein, the, you know, all that classic stuff. Yeah, the, the classic stuff. stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, Asimov later. Uh, Asimov took me a little while to get through.
0: Hey, I, uh, I tried it when I was a kid, hated it, hated Asimov for a long time like an idiot. And then as an adult, went through and read yeah. uh, the majority of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's so. it was tough. I went through it as a. You know, in late teens, that kind of stuff, and it wasn't, it wasn't difficult, but it, it was difficult to understand. You know, you could read it, and then be like, "I have no His idea." His writing
0: is very mechanical, and it's very difficult to read. It's hard yeah. to get into. The stories are incredible. Uh, the writing style I'm not
2: still not a fan of. It's yeah, it's it's, dry. it's not very accessible. Yeah, uh, agreed. But I mean, the stories are fantastic, and the the concepts that he brings up are incredible, which is why you struggle through it. Absolutely. Which is I'm adult, sure yeah, easier to understand. <laughs> why you pull through stuff like Shakespeare and all that kind of stuff? It's amazing and everything. Once you get through it, that's actually kind of yeah, it's kind of fun in in a way. For me, it never really was. I'm like I just normally I'm here for the story, and if I don't get it easily, I leave, and. I'm still – I can work through that, but I still tend that way, you know, if it's not written something easily. I
0: never – I had the hardest time. You know what – in fact, a similar opposite story, and I'll make it brief. I I had a a teacher in uh, in junior high school that had us do a poetry project. I actually have it around here if you want to see it. Um, I found it a few years ago. It's like it, we had to do like this 50 page book that we would make that had like analysis of poems like you had to draw pictures. You had to do all this just crap. It was it was a, <laughs> just crap. It was a job. It was yeah. not fun. It was painful. It was just it sucked balls and it ate most of, uh, you know, a semester of work. Sure. And you know what it taught me to hate poetry.
2: Yeah, there's a and, lot of damage with poetry that the teacher seemed to meter out on. I'm the not a hater. of students.
0: You know, even then, I wasn't, like, into hating stuff. I would have probably been introduced. I probably would have liked it. Yeah. But I, I just, I hated it. I hated it for years until Audra actually slowly, over many years, like, I saw her enjoying and thinking about poetry, and eventually I realized that there was a lot of magic to it, and I still have a weird, like, twinge when I, I think about it, but I... I if I can
1: confess to you guys, I mean... I'm an English teacher. I've always hated poetry and I love poetry at the yeah, same time. Exactly. I, I look at poetry and my first response is kind of a, like a, a visceral, like, Ugh. like I, I get that gross, like, oh, I hate this. And then I have to remind myself that as an adult, you know, I learned that you can get a lot out of it and that it can be really awesome. and And then when that part of my brain takes over, then I can enjoy it. But Even I hate it. What little I know about Shakespeare.
0: I didn't actually read the stuff I was supposed to, the Shakespeare stuff in high school. I like found summaries and worked (laughs) my way through it. But like uh, when when I was working the crappy job and I didn't have any cash, my mom had given me a bunch of books to move out with and there was some Shakespeare in there and I didn't have anything to read. And I thought, well, I'll read that. <laughs> and I started reading it. And I'm like, oh crap, I don't understand any of this. I don't even know what they're talking about. I can't even read it. So I had to look up how it worked. And then it was kind of like a problem like I was used to and decoding it was kind of fun. And then when I started decoding and I, I just read very little, I'm, I don't know that much, but it felt like. Then I started learning a little bit about the time because of the way I, w- what I had to learn to read the little bit I was reading. And and then when I decoded a bit and realized it was kind of a dick or fart joke or something almost, I th- I thought that was awesome. And that that made some enjoyment, you know. But why couldn't we have done that in, in junior high school? That would have been awesome. Yeah, yeah.
1: A cool thing about um, <laughs> The Hero and the Crown, the way it's written, um, it's actually pretty educational as you read because I noticed there were... There were vocabulary words. I would call them vocab words because they're English words that just are kind of either obsolete or she's using them deliberately because it's kind of an ancient sounding land. It's kind of you know right. dragons and medieval. And, so that's the um, tone, right? Yeah. But there were a number of words that I had to think about or be like, oh yeah, right. That's that's kind of an archaic term. That's really neat. Um, in addition to new words that were unique to that world. And never, ever does the book come across as pedantic. Never does it feel, um, sorry to use these words, but they're the best words, didactic. It never feels like it's trying to teach you something. It feels like it's telling you an important story. And it demands from you as a reader that you, you know, think and, and synthesize. And one other thing I think is important to point out. This book... Uh, shows everything and tells nothing. There's so much going on that it almost is poetic at times where there's there's so much happening that it took me a little while to figure out all of the kind of larger implications. like in the section of the book where you she she kind of flashes back and explains how Aaron became uh, friends with Talit, essentially. What had happened to Talit in the past, getting his injury, and, and how she came to kind of understand a little bit what it was like to be injured when she was sick for so long. And all of that, um, the whole narrative is very, like, it's rich, but it's also really kind of sparse in terms of, it doesn't tell you anything, it, it makes you infer it. Like, it'll say this event, you know, this uh, interaction happens between her and Talit. Um, like the first time she gets him, the first time she gets up on him and gets him to ride. Um, and he's really in a lot of pain and he pushes himself farther than he should. And he kind of collapses and his muscles are really damaged and she has to help him work that out. But he's really stubborn and, and you know, in in a lot of pain and... The author the narrator never explicitly says any of these things. you know it's stuff that you get that you are able to um, meaning that you can derive from the text and that to me is just beautiful and there's so much stuff going on
0: you know I, I, speaking of this story, I'm really interested Sean in like in like you know you've talked I, I know of course how it is named after Talit. He is. He is. and and I'm really interested in what the story kind of meant to you and 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 how it how it affected the way you thought about things
2: well it was kind of different because i'd never read anything like this and it was never something that i you don't see stories like this a lot uh, first of all it was about a woman and it didn't treat her you know as sci-fi and fantasy classically treats a woman she was the hero she was every bit as good as, as anyone else the thing is she was different and uh, with young adult, you'll a uh, lot, a lot of times you'll see them write a character that is different and, and later comes to celebrate their differences. Uh, they did that. And she did that in this story, but she's different in a very different way. She's different because she chooses to be not because she just, it's forced upon her. People look at her as that she didn't care about any of that. She is different. She knows it. And she acts that way. She follows what she wants to do. And, Uh, She doesn't have the same kind of, and because she is, it's the, the, you know, they, she kind of weaves it throughout the entire book because she comes about things the way she does and she performs the way she does. You couldn't have done this the standard way, you know, with a giant knight on armored on horse with bit and tack and all this, uh, you know, armor and gear, it wouldn't have done him any good. He'd have got flame just like everybody else. Uh, because she had to come about it and she's like, well, hell, I can't fight with carrying reins and a sword in my hand. I don't have that kind of time and I'm not built like that. So I have to learn how to guide my horse without reins. I have to learn how to do it without stirrups really, or, you know, without the same kind of war stirrups. This saddle sucks. I got to learn to make a new one.
1: Yeah, she, that was awesome.
2: This, you know, this, uh, I don't know how to fight. I got to find somebody how to teach me how to fight without a horse and then translate it to horseback lessons and how to... And the
1: potion, the...
2: Yeah, the, the flamethrower, uh, yeah. the... Well, if I'm going to hunt dragons, they breathe fire. I have to be fireproof and so does my horse.
1: And uh, it takes her years to figure out how to perfect the potion. I yeah. mean, she's studying, she's spending time in the meadows, well, like and going and through old books and She stuff goes through and- the
2: scientific procedure. She, she finds the recipe, but it doesn't have portions or... Uh, directions. So she has a bunch of ingredients and she knows it goes together somehow, but she doesn't know how to do it. So she starts making some potions and they don't work. So she just gets, she starts making a log. Okay. I put this much in this, 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 and I made it and it didn't work. Okay. Well, we'll try altering this one a little She's bit. She's
1: like a scientist. Yeah. As well. She
2: learns science. She learns the mechanical ways of, of like uh leather work and, and making things. She makes her own armor. She makes her own breastplate for the horse. She makes, uh, uh, all all this stuff she learns skills that would that other people take a lifetime to learn through the scientific method and trial and error she winds up learning all kinds of crafts very rapidly by herself just using uh, like i said the scientific method and trial and error and
1: and an amazing will yeah i mean i think that that's
2: just will herself to do these things yeah and where everyone else would fail she did not
1: I got to ask you, Sean, um, on one hand, you said that the the book treats, you know, even she's this woman protagonist. And you said the book treats her differently than sci-fi and fantasy novels often treat women. Um, but you also said earlier when you first came across the book that you thought it was cool because it had a hot chick. Yeah. And I was wondering, um, I know that when I was growing up, most of the books I read and loved had male protagonist but if I was seeing the world from their perspective I never saw them as a hot guy like I never saw them as an object for me I saw them as an avatar for me so I was wondering did you feel like split in that way or or did you just always kind of see her as like uh, someone that you could attain you know what I like did you see her as romance for you or did you see her as a representation of you
2: I saw her as a representation of what I want to meet someday be honest uh that was like i want to hang with her i want a girl like that you know that that does these things and is not afraid to fight and is not afraid to tell you what she thinks and is not afraid to you know if you got messed up she's you know you're back to back and she's got a sword and so do you
1: that's so interesting to me i'm, I'm wondering about you chuck when you were young did you ever read a female character and feel like did you read female characters and see them as projections of yourself like a first person or, or or did you see them more as like the kind of person you'd like to be with?
0: I'm trying to think specifically. The sad part is, is there aren't that many strong, right. you know, characters. And I'm trying to think that I, I think maybe a little of both. Like, like I, it, oh, yeah. it didn't bother me to see, like I would see, I don't know as much that you imagine being the character as, as I think you're Right. Um, I I think, I I guess I, I didn't imagine myself as much being the character, but often there would be characteristics that would seem applicable.
1: I wonder if it's, I, I doubt it's like a, you know, guys think like this and women think like this or, but I think it's more of a, if you're used to having a protagonist who is like you, a guy, and then you have out of nowhere, this very different female protagonist, um, that maybe it would feel different, you know, but for me, I was used to having like almost every main character in every book I ever read be male. So I grew up seeing the world through kind of male eyes that way. Like I just got used to seeing the world that way. And what's really interesting, whole other subject, but what's interesting is how people learn to adopt those ways of thinking, you know, how women learn to adopt the way of thinking the way that men do and, and so on.
0: You know, I, th- I think that's really interesting. I think it's a very valid point because that's what I, I, I kind of stuttered for saying because I was thinking about what you were saying. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, we actually have to wrap up. And this is sad because uh, this is such a great discussion. I think if it's okay with you guys, I think it would be nice to maybe just tack one more podcast onto this arc. And maybe just do a wrap up where we kind of talk about we've kind of burned quickly through three things that were important to us. And maybe we could just talk about the three of them and kind of put it together. We, we I feel like there's a little more to say about all of them.
1: I, yeah, I would be really happy with that because, you know, each one talked about how it kind of affected us growing up. It would be cool to talk about more of the results of that.
0: I agree. Oh, um, yeah. Let's do that. We'll do that next week. And Audrey, do you have anything to add wrapping up?
1: Uh, no, just a, a quick reminder to people. If you're wondering, um, I haven't seen these yet cause I haven't gotten my butt out to the theater, but men in black three opened on May 25th and June 1st, uh, snow white and the huntsman opens.
2: Awesome. Sean. Yeah. Uh, just uh really happy with uh this particular arc. I can't wait to wrap up next week. I'll tell you how this book led to me meeting my wife.
3: Yes. Awesome.
2: Uh, awesome as well. too. Well, uh, so that was kind of cool. And it's uh let's see your Snow White and the Huntsman June 1st, also Prometheus June 8th. Coming soon. Yeah. So, it is going to be a we're getting into summertime i mean you, uh, the movies are coming out also uh check it out i posted a pic of this uh brave is june 22nd and it is the only movie i have ever I seen saw that does uh princess dresses and axes uh for you yes. little girls looks uh, awesome <laughs> so uh really 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 cool uh looking forward to it. not
1: even the hunger games does that one yeah, <laughs> exactly it's, there's like
2: a flail a sword a mace and a Princess dress. I mean, that's the the spread for the brave stuff, and it's all in the girls section, so it's awesome.
0: Well, guys, I have one quick thing that I need to add here. I, I wanted to say thank you again to the Phoenix Comic Con for uh, offering us the opportunity to attend as media. Um, I was I was very impressed with the con. It was it was awesome. Um, if you can imagine it, it, it was. It was like uh, I imagine. It was like San Diego was before all of the big uh, move in of the theaters and you know the 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 big sure. movie Studios money, studio money, and everything. The vast majority. There are a few big uh, big panels, but the vast majority of what's on the schedule are things like how to dress like the doctor and your, the making of your favorite uh, online shows and, and geekery stuff like nut
2: that. and bolts,
0: damn straight. Like literally how to, and meet the people. And, and that's the
2: best kind as far as I'm concerned,
0: they are. And, and you know, when I saw people putting their schedules together, they were building things like, Oh, I'm going to go check out this and that and the other. And it was, it was almost like, if you could imagine, it was like geek school. Yeah. You know, where you go to learn more about the things you're really into. It was a <laughs> <geek> con <Comicon> just- <laughs> school of
2: nerd and geekery. Damn
0: straight. And, and I would go again. I mean, I, that was just super fun. Um, Great experience. Lots of super nice people. Uh, Things like uh, Dawn lost her iPhone. Somebody turned it in. Nice. I mean, come on. It's like it's it's friendly in a way. These cons, especially that kind of con, are friendly in a way that you just wouldn't even imagine. You've only read about. Damn straight. So if you're anywhere near uh, a con, go check it out. And certainly, if you haven't been to the Phoenix Comic Con, highly recommend it. It was a super experience. And uh, we'll be back next week. On behalf of everyone here at GWC, thanks for listening. And thanks to all who make GWC possible, including producers Soleil, forum moderators Badgerspoon, Pike, and Frack and Talos, GWC book club maven Casilda, and tech guru Juan Drew. Remember, if you'd like to share your opinions with the GWC crew and listeners, you can call us anytime at 214-296-9229, extension 701. You can also contact us via galacticwatercooler.com, our website and blog. But you should really spend some time over on the GWC forum. GWCers really are the friendliest people on sci-fi. we're always re-watching a group reading something fun. You might even find a GWC meetup somewhere near you. GWC is funded by advertising and by listeners like you. For information on how you can donate, visit galacticwatercore.com slash support. Finally, special thanks to Ferris and his friends Encoder and Jim Minadeo for GWC's sweet theme music. For more Encoder, visit them at myspace.com slash encoder.